Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book The Undercover Economist Strikes Back, which will guide us to the world of macroeconomics. When it comes to macroeconomics, certain words may pop into our minds, such as GDP inflation and interest rates. Although these terms are familiar to us, we may not understand the topics studied in macroeconomics and how it actually works. There is an interesting line in Eat the Rich arguing that macroeconomics studies big mistakes made by economists. Although it may seem as if macroeconomics has nothing to do with our lives, we should think carefully, what if these very economists messed up the nation's economy? If this were to happen, all industries of the nation would suffer setbacks, and each and every one of us would be more vulnerable to unemployment. Thus, it is necessary to pay attention to the way that macroeconomics works and the causes of economic fluctuation. This book will lead us into the world of macroeconomics and let us recognize the impact that macroeconomics has on our lives. Tim Hartford, the author of this book is known as the most humorous figure of the century. He once worked at the World Bank and was a professor of economics at the University of Oxford. He also set up the Dear Economist column in the Financial Times. In the column, he often applied the latest economic theories to explain phenomena in our daily lives and to reveal how the economy works. It has become one of the most popular columns in history. This book has been translated into more than 30 languages and has become one of the world's bestsellers. The Undercover Economist Strikes Back is a work on macroeconomics that Tim Harford wrote for laypeople like us. It contains little jargon and uses stories that everyone can understand in order to analyze how macroeconomics functions. Now we will talk about the essence of this book in three parts. Part 1, The Conflict Between the Two Main Schools of Macroeconomics. Part 2, The Application of the Two Schools in the Real Economy. Part 3, Macroeconomics is closely related to our lives. First, let's look at the first part, the conflict between the two main schools of macroeconomics. You have probably heard of the two main schools of macroeconomics, Keynesian and classical, but you may not know about the divergence that exists between them. Don't worry, we will now explain it to you. First, let's look at what the two views argue about. Generally speaking, they have focused on one problem, why do economic recessions occur? Due to different views concerning this problem, they come up with distinct solutions in order to solve economic recessions. You might wonder why both sides focus on economic recessions so much. The answer can be found in the birth of macroeconomics which is related to a well-known economic recession. In 1929-1933, the world was in a great recession called the Great Depression. The Great Depression led to a constant unemployment rate of 25% in the United States. Per capita income of the U.S. dropped a third. The Great Depression also resulted in mass unemployment in Germany, which became an incentive for the rise of the Nazis led by Adolf Hitler. Due to the Depression, economists started to reflect on the causes of economic recessions and solutions to them. In such a context, macroeconomics was born. Among all the economists who studied macroeconomics, one of them stood out, 
the British economist John Maynard Keynes. Now let's learn about Keynes' theory. We will learn about the Keynesians' particular view through a case study. In the 1970s, American congressmen established an organization called Capitol Hill Babysitting Cooperative. It consisted of about 200 families in which parents helped each other babysit. To make it easier for colleagues to record babysitting tasks, they traded with the use of a type of coupon similar to currency called scripts. The co-op gave out 40 scripts to each family. One script could be exchanged for half an hour of babysitting service, or only 15 minutes during peak periods. By paying with scripts, family members thus got a babysitting service provided by other families. However, each family's total scripts only equaled 10 hours of babysitting service during peak time. These were enough to be used only two or three times. As a result, every family desired to save up scripts in order to have enough time away from babysitting on weekends. However, since everyone held the same idea, no one started using the script, and no one had a chance to provide the babysitting service. In the end, the co-op declined very soon after. So, how did this recession turn around? The solution was to print as many scripts as possible and give each person an additional 10 hours of scripts. When everyone thought that they had enough scripts that they could hang out several times, instead of staying at home to look after their babies, they began to use their scripts one or two times, thus saving the co-op from the recession. In the case of the babysitting cooperative, Keynesians believed that the main cause of the recession was insufficient demand within the economy. Their measure to cope with the insufficient demand was to print as many notes as scripts. In reality, that meant the government needed to increase the money supply to reverse the economic recession. At the moment, you might feel confused. When we print more notes, it seems that the amount of money grows, but its purchasing power is decreased. It may take $12 to buy something that only previously cost $10. Therefore, the total value of everyone's money actually had not changed. Some people's incomes cannot even catch up with the pace of inflation, thus decreasing their disposable real income. In this case, why are people still willing to spend their money, and why is the demand still growing? Tim Harford told us that this is due to sticky prices. Sticky prices mean that the prices of goods will not easily change because more notes are printed, namely that inflation would not immediately occur. For example, our wages will not be adjusted simply according to inflation. As another example, today, if the merchants of the restaurant industry find that the prices of vegetables rise 5 cents when they purchase them, they will not reprint menus and change their dishes prices simply due to the slight increase in the price of vegetables. Although the goods prices rose, increasing prices demands costs too, as there are also associated costs to update the menus. Economists name this cost the menu cost. Due to sticky prices, when the newly printed notes flow into society and people have more money in their hands, the prices of goods in the market do not significantly change accordingly. As such, people are willing to spend their money which activates the economy. After learning about Keynesian view, let's see the classical economist's view through the case of a prison camp recession in Germany during the Second World War. Surprisingly, the prison camps did indeed have an economy. The foundation of the prison camp economy was the food and cigarette packages that the prisoners received from the Red Cross. 
Those packages were all standardized and everyone got the same package. However, because the supplies sometimes were in surplus or not adequate, there was inequality in the distribution of supplies to prisoners. This was also due to the distinct preferences of prisoners from different countries. For example, the British preferred afternoon tea, and the French liked coffee. In the end, the goods prisoners liked were not abundant enough, and those that they did not like were too prevalent. However, small businesses were allowed in the camps where prisoners could exchange their goods and offer services such as polishing boots in exchange for some goods. Now that there was a market, there occurred a need for a universal currency to simplify the transaction process. Because of its portability and uniformity in texture, cigarettes became the universal currency in prison camps. Since there was a market, the prices of goods would also fluctuate. Although the prices in the prison camps did not fluctuate as much as those in the market, they did fluctuate because of several factors. For example, when it was hot, the price of cocoa fell while that of soap rose. The effect on the economy due to such external factors is what economists call exogenous shocks. One of the biggest exogenous shocks to the camp economy was the phenomenon of decreasing supplies from the Red Cross. Since supplies decreased, the prisoners' consumer demand could not be satisfied, which caused an economic recession and a decrease in volume. Through the case of prison camps, Classical economists believe that the economic system went wrong because of a failure of supply caused by exogenous shocks. The oil crisis in the 1970s is an example in which supplies were affected due to exogenous shocks. At the end of 1973, Egypt and Syria launched a sudden attack on Israel. Against this backdrop, members of OPEC, the Arab Oil Exporting Countries Organization announced a ban on oil exports. Therefore, the price of oil quickly doubled and stayed quite high for decades. This had a great impact on Western economies who relied on fuel for electricity and demanded to produce a large number of gas cars. So how did classical economists believe economic recessions should be dealt with? They thought that although the ban would result in short supply and an overheated economy, the market would automatically adjust the economy through its price mechanism and finally strike a balance between supply and demand. Thus, the government's intervention on the economy should be restricted to allow the economy to adjust itself. However, it is important to remember the case of the babysitting cooperative we mentioned earlier. In that case, the co-op did not have the ability to adjust itself as an economy. If the economy was not regulated, the co-op would still be declining slowly. So the measures given by classical economists does not work in all cases. Similarly, to cope with the oil crisis in the 1970s, Keynesian economists proposed to stimulate demand by printing more notes. But the result was just the contrary. The inflation got worse, and consumer demand did not increase. So, which of the two approaches is more effective in fixing economic recessions? We will answer this question in the second part. That's all for the first part. Here, we got an indication of the focus of analysis placed in the two schools argument. The failure of the babysitting cooperative was because of inadequate demand, and the failure of the prison camps was due to inadequate supply. The core of the two schools argument lie in whether economic problems were a failure of demand or supply. 
Economists believe that we can apply the two schools' views to solve economic recessions depending on different economic situations. Now, let's move on to the second part, the application of the two schools in the real economy. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.